Welcome back to the exposition. Today's topic is going to be kind of heavy. So I figured I'd start off with something a little light. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Here's some bracing news we never expected to report. Black Lives Matter is now more popular than the President of the United States, and not slightly more popular than the President, much more popular. A survey this week by Rasmussen, a right-leaning pollster, found that 62% of likely voters now have a favorable opinion of Black Lives Matter. At the same time, Rasmussen found that Donald Trump's approval rating was 43%. That's almost 20 points lower. And by the way, Trump was not alone. Black Lives Matter is far more popular than Joe Biden is, too. It's more popular than America's religious institutions, all of them. It's more popular than the media, the Congress, and big business. Black Matters is more popular by double digits than both the Democratic and the Republican parties. It's almost as popular as the US military. It's much more popular than the Pope. The numbers are astounding, but the polls are not the only measure of it. Here's a Black Lives Matter rally from over the weekend in New York. Look at that picture. That is an ocean of people. Ask yourself the last time you saw a candidate for office who was able to draw a crowd like that. The media, in their relentlessly fawning coverage, usually describe Black Lives Matter as an activist group or a protest movement. But that's deception by understatement. Black Lives Matter is not a collection of marchers with signs. It's not a conventional political lobby like Planned Parenthood or the NRA. It's not pressuring Congress to pass some narrow new set of laws. Black Lives Matter is far more ambitious than that. It is working to remake the country and then to control it. It's a political party. As of tonight, Black Lives Matter may be the single most powerful political party in the United States. Nobody says that out loud, but politicians understand it perfectly well. If nothing else, they understand power. They can smell it at great distances. And that's why they're lining up to bow before Black Lives Matter. You can't really reform um, a department that, that is rotten to, to the root. We've heard our people cry out, I can't breathe. We've heard our people speak out, black lives matter. This is a, this is a systemic problem that requires a comprehensive solution. What I would say is that there is, there is a legitimacy to this anger. There's a legitimacy to this outrage. None of what you just saw is a stretch for Democrats. They believe their long-term goals align with those of Black Lives Matter. And in fact, at times, the group functions as an arm of the Democratic Party. More telling, though, and more ominous, is the response from many Republicans. They've been happy to go along as well, or in Mitt Romney's case, even mouth the same slogans. And violence and brutality, and to make sure that people understand that Black Lives Matter. Woo! This is the exposition. This is the exposition. I wanted to start off a little bit light today. You know what I'm saying? Because it's gonna be a heavy show tonight. It's gonna get kind of emotional, at least for me anyway. You feel me? Because I'm going in deep. How deep? Well, let's see. Anyway, let's get going. I wanted to play that clip because it's been some victories. It's been some success, some successes. We now have Democratic and Republican people parroting Black Lives Matter's statements. There has been an extreme show of power from the Black Lives Matter movement. But I want to say 
Black Lives Matter is a political entity, as was stated by our good friend in Fox News, Tucker. It is an extension of the Democratic Party. This is not a Black Lives Matter thing. This isn't Black Lives. Black Lives Matter is jumping out in the front of this. But they don't control this. This is the streets. You feel me? The streets is taking control out here and they letting it be known. And it's been beautiful. It's been beautiful to see the show of power that the community can have. But, but, this is also a dangerous time. You can see all these people coming out, feel the support. You can see that they're getting it in in New York, and Seattle, the LA, all across the the globe, people are getting it in on the account of black lives. It's a beautiful thing. You almost might feel like you could relax a little bit. You almost might feel like, hey, they're passing bills. Laws are getting put in. They're talking about police reform. They're outlawing the chokeholds. They're coming up with the Ku Klux Karen laws for people that call the police on Negroes unwarrantedly. And you might feel like it's it's okay now. We're making some progress. We can go back in the house. But I just want to say, um, nah, my nigga, you got to wake the fuck up. You got to stay woke. Because this is this is just round one. We're just getting started. And I know some people might want to go back into the crib. You know, after fighting coronavirus, dealing with riots and fires and more and more police killings, some people might feel like, man, they're just tired. They want to relax. They want to just put all this behind them for a moment. And now is not the time to be slowing up. There is an open season on Negroes. And I know we just had a, a show the other day about the new Cointel Pro or Cointel Pro 2.0. You know? And it's like the Matrix. Anybody could be an agent at this point. Anybody can get pressed on and get pushed to flip at this moment. You can't really trust even yourself because your mind is going to want to get away from the stress. If you can't run from the pain, you got to run to it. It's not time to go back to sleep. It's a dangerous time right now maybe more dangerous than ever, and that's what we're here to talk about tonight. Don't go to sleep. Stay woke. You might want to just go back in the house, go back to regular life. Stores is opening up. Everything's opening back up. TV shows is coming back on. You might get basketball or football on pretty soon. I mean, don't go to sleep. 
stay woke. This is the exposition. Thanks for the drink. Sweet dreams. Do we have a deal, Mr. You know, I know this steak doesn't exist. I know that when I put it in my mouth, the Matrix is telling my brain that it is juicy and delicious. After nine years, you know what I realize? Ignorance is bliss. Then we have a deal. I don't want to remember nothing. Nothing. You understand? And I want to be rich. You know, someone important. Like an actor. Whatever you want, Mr. Reagan. Okay. I'll get my body back in a power plant. Reinsert me into the Matrix. I'll get you what you want. Access codes to the Zion mainframe. No, I told you I don't know them. I can get you the man who does. Morpheus. Some of us are so desperate to go back to normal. We are sell out everything that we think that we love. I just wanted to play that because I like how he broke it down. You know, he didn't want to remember nothing. People don't want to have to deal with the constant memory of the pain of seeing black people getting killed every day. They want to turn the switch off. People want to be rich and wealthy and successful. People want to be somebody that's important, not somebody that's shunned. All of these things are social engineering tools that fuck with your psychology to keep you in line. And right now is the time when it's about to get real. Now all the ciphers out here, all the trauma tourists are about to go back to sleep. They're about to plug back in. They came out, had the experience, took some pictures. This is, this is pretty much over for them. Some law might get passed, a bill might get pushed through. They feel like they've contributed to making the world a better place. and Everything's okay now. We can go back to sleep now. But nothing could be further from the truth. We don't have the luxury of messing around right now. Now is the time to put all the drinking and smoking and chasing girls and chasing fun and chasing ambition to the side for the moment. We gotta get this black 
thing together right now. Now's the time to be focusing on your health, working out, being in shape, bettering yourself. Now's the time to be maybe practicing martial art so you can defend yourself even without a weapon. And now is the time to be having a weapon and be going to the gun range and practice shooting. Now is the time to be moving in groups. Don't get caught out here alone. And now is the time to be checking other brothers and sisters when they out here lacking and getting them on code. Now is the time to be, when you see brothers about to be making self-destructive decisions, to stop them. Now is the time to be looking out for one another and building that unity in that community. Now is not the time to be pointing fingers and placing blame. Now is not the time to be regurgitating white supremacist talking points. Now is the time to be in a group of people and not to be out here solo. It's dangerous out here right now. It's always been dangerous, but it's, it's tensing up out here. We are not out of the fire pan yet. We ain't even got into the fire. Revolution is a long process. It's not an event. You know? And to that, I want to say these are some of the dangers of not knowing your enemy. These are some of the dangers of going to sleep and not staying vigilant and diligent out here. These protests need to continue. The pressure needs to keep on getting put on. And even once we leave the streets, there's a multitude of ways that we can disrupt the process out here. As a matter of fact, I think maybe it might be time to go in the house on some of the protesting, you know? But it's not time to go back to normal. It's time to regroup and plan, plot, and strategize about how we're gonna to continue to move out here and keep this struggle going. It's not time to turn off, it's time to turn up. You feel me? Get with like-minded groups, get with people that's gonna be moving this action and keep on going because it's not, it's far from over. This is just the beginning. And what we really need to be worried about right now is preparing ourselves for the pushback. What is the pushback? That's that white rage. I got some examples. This is the exposition. Oh yeah, not only that, we got five black men that have been lynched from LA to Texas and they done shot another brother in Atlanta in the back and tensions there are heating up you gotta be safe out here this is far from over it might have calmed down in your city but we all need to remain diligent and stay out here and stand in solidarity with our brothers all over the place this is a horrible story and I hate it um, unfolding now in front of our eyes that another black man has died. And not only that, we have other murders that are going on at the same time. We gotta be safe out here.
Three weeks ago today, George Floyd died at the hands of police in Minneapolis. His death has rocked the world ever since with protests sweeping across the nation and beyond. Millions demanding police reform and some asking for cuts to police funding. From police stations to major corporations to newsrooms like our very own, a racial reckoning of sorts. And tonight, a fourth straight week of demonstrations continue, demanding change. And now a new call, justice for Rayshard Brooks. Brooks was shot Friday by white police officer in Atlanta and that immediately sparked reforms within the police department, along with the resignation of the police chief. Tonight, his family is searching for answers, and they say that the trust that they had with police is now shattered for good. Our Steve Osinsami leads us off from Atlanta. The anger is growing tonight over this video showing the end of another black man's life at the hands of police. This time in the parking lot of an Atlanta fast food restaurant. And investigators tonight are studying every frame, trying to determine if the shooting death of 27-year-old Rayshard Brooks was justified. Y'all took my cousin, y'all took the wrong person. His family, planning his funeral tonight, says no. How many more protests will it take? <sighs> to ensure that the next vi victim isn't your cousin, your brother, your uncle, your nephew, your friend, or your companion, so that we can finally end the suffering of police excessive force. We are tired, guys, we're tired, and we are frustrated. <clears throat> Most importantly, we're heartbroken. Just after 10.30 Friday night, someone called Atlanta police. I think he's intoxicated. He's in the middle of my drive-thru. I tried to wake him up. Brooks was asleep at the wheel in the middle of the drive-thru. Hey. Sir. What's up, man? Hey, you're parked in the drive-thru right now. Hey, sir. Officer Devin Brosnan wakes him up. Brooks then pulls into a parking spot. Well, no, you say one drink. What kind of drink was it? Officer Garrett Rolf arrives. He gives Brooks a field sobriety test and a breathalyzer. .108, just above the legal limit. For more than 20 minutes, things stay calm. What are you, uh, are you, just, are you here for a visit or what's, uh... I'm visiting. Who are you visiting? Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. How, how long has she uh, passed for? It's, it's been probably about a year and a half now, but... Okay, I'm sorry to hear that. At one point, he asks if they'll just take him home. Take me home. I'm ready to go. But when they try to put him in handcuffs, he refuses. It gets seriously physical, and while they're fighting, Brooks grabs the stun gun of one of the officers. You're going to get tased. You're going to get tased. And here is the moment of intense debate tonight. As Brooks is running away... He is seen reaching back with the stun gun and pointing it at Officer Rolf, who fires three shots. Two of them hit Brooks in the back and were enough to kill him. No, there's no justice that can ever make me feel happy about what's been done. I can never get my husband back. I can never get my best friend. I can never just come and take you skating or swimming lessons. It's just going to be a, a long time before I heal. It's going to be a long time before this family heals. 
Protesters who were already in the streets calling for justice for George Floyd were now at this Wendy's shouting the name of Rayshard Brooks, and then someone burned the restaurant to the ground. Police are sharing these photos of a woman in a black mask and offering a $10,000 reward. Officer Rolf has been fired. The other officer put on administrative leave. The police chief resigned. And now the county prosecutor is deciding if there will be criminal charges. So what we have to decide is, based upon the prevailing law in this country and in our state, is whether or not, at the time that shot was fired, whether or not it was done to save the life of that officer. That officer was firing that shot because he felt that he was in imminent danger or whether or not it was for some other reason the president tonight offered his thoughts i thought it was a terrible i'm not going to compare things but i i thought it was a terrible situation atlanta's mayor tonight is ordering a list of new work rules including mandatory de-escalation techniques for her police officers i'm also requiring de-escalation generally and specifically prior to the use of deadly force in accordance with the principle that officers should use de-escalation techniques to gain voluntary compliance and avoid or minimize the use of physical force. It pissed me off, it makes me sad, and it makes and I'm frustrated. We all are. Well, I'm telling y'all, man, y'all gotta be diligent out here. Gotta stay focused. It's not party time. You know, turned up in Minnesota. Niggas running people over. It's getting crazy out here, man. We got problems on all sides in these streets with the police and amongst ourselves with the bullshit. You know, there's a whole video, I don't even want to go into it, of niggas acting a damn fool now that everything is opening back up. And, man, I'm trying to tell y'all, we got to stay smart out here. Things got to change, and we got to start making a change with ourselves first. This is the exposition.
This program is brought to you by Emory University. Claude Neal was the last spectacle lynching in the United States. Now, I know spectacle and lynching are words that really should not go together, but they did. What happened in 1934 was that Claude Neal was in a jail in Alabama. The lynch mob was incensed. They didn't want him going through the regular judicial system. Now understand that the regular judicial system in Alabama for African Americans was not a kind and gentle force. But a lesson needed to be made of Claude. And that lesson was going to be one of the most horrific acts of violence on American soil. Part of what you had with spectacle lynching was that, I know we had these ideas in our head about a lynching where there one guy, two guys, mm -mm. they sold tickets. This was advertised in the churches. Special trains were, in fact, reserved where you could get the special train ticket. It's almost, almost like a cruise line kind of deal. It, 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 it was a festival. It was an event. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I don't need an event where it's advertised, announced in church on Sunday. So, you know, we've got uh, Minister Song Ho Song is going to be speaking here and so-and-so is going to be having that. And oh, by the way. We're going to have a lynching down in Florida. Uh, we've got, you can get your special tickets in the back. They only cost so much. And it's going to, you know, bring your kids, bring a picnic basket. It's going to be fabulous. Claude Neal gets yanked out of that jail in Alabama. He gets sent through a gauntlet of torture down into Florida where the, the crowd that has bought their tickets and come in on their special trains and bought, bought their picnic baskets are waiting for this incredible event. He is put up on a stand, stripped naked, and the crowd is going wild. He's being branded. I mean, you, you already see the blood. I mean, because he's gone through this gauntlet of torture. And then they begin to just start cutting off his body parts. Part of the torture is they begin to cut off his genitalia. They cut off one piece, stuff it in his mouth, and force him to eat it. And the crowd is like, yeah! And they cut off some more of his genitalia, stuff that in his mouth, and eat it. So you can imagine this man is standing there before the throng, bleeding, forced to eat his own flesh. And there's no sense of humanity anywhere in the air. Then they start cutting off his fingers and throwing them to the crowd like a souvenir. And the crowd is like, more, 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 more. And Claude is there bleeding to death, being branded with hot irons. And finally, after no more, they strung up. This is the spectacle lynching of Claude Neal. That was horrific enough. But what, in fact, makes it beyond egregious 
is then the response of the law enforcement officials. The NAACP immediately sent folks down to investigate this lynching. They went to Alabama and they said, mm, Alabama, there's no crime committed here because he wasn't killed here. So they went to the officials in Florida. Florida said, he's not from here. No crime committed because he's not from here. Now, I didn't realize that anywhere in the statute dealing with murder, it said you had to be from that space in order for that to be a murder. But the NAACP thought, hmm, we now have on the books the Lindbergh kidnapping law based on the kidnapping of Charles Lindbergh's baby that therefore makes it a crime, a federal crime, to, to take somebody and transport them against their will across state lines. So the NAACP goes to the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI. J. Edgar Hoover says, no crime committed here because nobody asked for a ransom. That is what justice looked like for Claude Neal and so for so many African-Americans during the Great Depression. Gotta know your enemy and know yourself. This is the type of shit that we are dealing with out here. These are the type of people that we are dealing with. This has not changed. You know, this is going on right now. You know, found, I think, five people now all together. I think three, three in, um, in LA and two in Texas, I believe. I might have them facts wrong. You know what I'm saying? And I found people hanging in trees once again. And this is part of the kickback that I was talking about. After black people show some strength, white people got to reassert their authority. So now we dealing with this. Let's, let's, let's uh, take a moment to deal with that. Thing that we hear another, and we just want to know the truth. 20 Fuller and Malcolm Harsh were discovered hanging from trees in two public venues, 10 days and 50 miles apart. Though police say neither death appears to be connected or shows any indication of foul play, tonight their shocking deaths are leading to calls for the state attorney general to investigate. We've been here on one thing, then we hear another. And we just want to know the truth. 24-year-old Robert Fuller's body was discovered hanging from a tree in a park near Palmdale City Hall. The L.A. County Sheriff's Office first saying the scene appeared to be a suicide, then today deferring the official cause of death. Investigators will now examine the rope and knot to see how it was tied. And is our interest to make sure that we leave no rock unturned. It comes as protesters demand an independent probe and a homicide investigation. We want truth, we want answers, we demand answers now. When authorities found Malcolm Harsh's body hanging near a local library and homeless encampment in Victorville, they indicated no signs of foul play, the cause of death still pending. But Harsh's family says this was not a suicide. I couldn't believe it because I had talked to him uh, a few nights before and we had made plans to uh, see each other. The Harsh family also noted the current racial tension and protest in this country. 
adding the death of a black man found hanging from a tree does not sit well or make sense. CBS this morning. Investigators are taking a closer look at the mysterious death of a black man found hanging from a tree in Los Angeles County. The body of 24-year-old Robert Fuller was discovered near Palmdale City Hall last week. On Saturday, protesters called for justice after an early report labeled his death an apparent suicide before a full investigation of the case. Now, this is the second time that the body of a black man has been found hanging from a tree in Southern California in recent weeks. Jonathan Bigliotti is in Palmdale. Jonathan, this story is so racially charged, I understand why there's skepticism. What, what can you tell us about it? Yeah, Gail, good morning to you. For one, Fuller's family said he never expressed suicidal thoughts, and there was no apparent note found here at the scene. The sheriff's department was quick to rule this as suicide while acknowledging that their homicide team was still conducting an active investigation. Then there was this second press release linking this to COVID-19 without any clear evidence. You'll hear a little bit more about that in just a few moments. Community leaders right now promising the public there will be answers. We already know what the answers are. You feel me? Let's take a little look into the past. Let's take a little look into the past. What happened in Ferguson? after the uprising out there. The community. Darren Seals was known locally as a rapper, nationally for his activism during the Ferguson protests. Seals was found shot inside a burning car in Riverview on Diamond Drive. Police initially thought they were responding to a car on fire, but once they put out the flames, they discovered Seal's body inside with a gunshot wound. The community cares about Benjamin Granda is with the St. Louis County Police Department. He's hoping Seal's status will encourage people to come forward with information. I do know that there is a lot of sentiment in the community that they want justice, they want the truth, and we hope to give that to them. We can't do it alone, so we're hoping that uh, friends, family members, acquaintances, so or just any members of the community can come forward and help us out with this, with any information they may have. How we gonna help you out with it when you're the one that done did it? Well, let's not stop there, you feel me? Hold on, wait. This was, this was the not August 11th, 2014, and it shows a man named Edward Crawford Jr. wearing an American flag tank top, picking up a burning canister of tear gas fired by police and throwing it. He later told reporters that he threw it away from children who were standing nearby. According to the St. Louis police, 27-year-old Crawford was found dead last Thursday of a self-inflicted gunshot wound while riding in the back seat of a car. His father told the St. Louis Post-Dispatch that he thought that his son accidentally shot himself. He did not think that he was suicidal. Edward Crawford Jr. leaves behind four children. This makes the third such mysterious death in as many years of an activist connected to the Ferguson protests and uprisings. In September of 2016, activist Darren Seals was found shot inside of a burning vehicle. Police have ruled that a homicide, while still, uh, which still remains open with no arrests. And another man, 20-year-old DeAndre Joshua, was also found in Ferguson, shot 
also inside of a burned out car in November of 2014, which happened to be on the same night that grand jury declined to indict Darren Wilson, the admitted killer of Mike Brown. So this begs the question because many in the St. Louis area and throughout the country are really doubtful that these deaths are coincidental. In fact, the long history of the struggle for the fight for civil rights for African Americans, which ranges from the abolitionist movement to Black Lives Matter today, many leaders and participants have been either flat out assassinated or died under unusual circumstances. And it really clarifies and illuminates how the struggle for equality and freedom can literally cost you your life. Well, to discuss this, we're joined with Glenn Ford. You feel me? This is not a game out here. This is not a motherfucking game. They are not playing with us out here. We got to protect ourselves and stay out of trouble. Stay out of the way of these white supremacists. Because we know who's doing this. But, um... Before we get out of here, I just wanted to throw some things out there to let you know the serious nature of what's going on. This is another time to go to sleep. You got to stay woke. But before we go, I wanted to give you a little history of how this whole thing started. You feel me? So we're going to get into that right now. This is the exposition. When we want to look at, you know, a friend that posted who, what, where, when, how are all important questions. But you get power when you get to the why. Why is this happening now? How did this all get started? Well, in 1681, America invented this thing called race. It created a class of white people, and then it created a class of black people, which were Indians and Negroes. We're going to put a little pin on that. We're going to address that in another episode of the exposition. This was after Bacon's Rebellion because the poor white indentured servants and the black slaves got together and they decided that, you know what, we got the same enemy. So in order to stop that from happening again, they invented race and they've been using that same trick over and over again. Whenever people start to get powerful, to divide us up and destroy us. The Republican Party was started by black people during the Reconstruction era. You know, black people was really getting it in. This is when you had Greenwood, Rosewood, all these other communities that was popping up. And black people were being successful after slavery had ended. And they came in and destroyed that. Well, now we're in a different era of black success in many different ways. Black people are starting to wake up. And whenever we wake up, they send in the Klan. This is the exposition. Thank you.
position. by the librarian. When I asked about or inquired about 1898, they wanted to know why. I was told that yes, they had something, but they kept it under lock and key. The story of Wilmington in 1898 still isn't widely known. What happened here on what's now just this empty patch of grass would radically change racial politics in North Carolina. This is the story of an American election but also of something we don't usually find in American history. The violent overthrow of a democratically elected government. In the late 1800s, Wilmington, North Carolina was the state's largest city. It had a majority black population, and historians today describe it as a rarity in the post-Civil War American South. Wilmington, prior to November 1898, was what the New South could be at the cusp of the 20th century. There was uh, an unusual degree of, of black prosperity. In Wilmington, there were successful black entrepreneurs, doctors, teachers, but also black elected officials. 
and for a time, that was true throughout the state. Take a look at the politicians on this poster of the 1889 North Carolina House of Representatives. Here at the bottom are black Republican representatives, some from Wilmington. North Carolina also sent four black Republicans to the U.S. Congress between 1875 and 1899. The Democratic and Republican parties of 1898 in many ways occupied opposite parts of the political spectrum than they do today. Most African Americans were voting for the Republican Party, and the Democratic Party was white voters almost exclusively. White supremacy was the central focus of the platform for the Democratic Party. Republicans in North Carolina were successful in part because of a third party called the Populist Party, made up of mostly white farmers fed up with the tough economic times. North Carolina populists joined up with Republicans to form what they called the Fusion Party. And in the elections of 1894 and 1896, the Fusion Party defeated the Democrats in sweeping victories statewide. That meant North Carolina now had a government that shared power between black and white politicians, including a newly elected Republican governor. Together, they moved towards reforms that would favor black Americans and working class whites. This was something that the Democratic Party folks were, not, were simply not going to accept. A multiracial government wasn't just a disappointment for Democrats. It was more like a humiliation. They needed a plan to take back control of the state in the next election. So party leaders like Fernifold Simmons, future U.S. Senator, Charles Acock, future North Carolina governor, and this man, Alfred Moore Waddell, came up with one. To beat the fusion party by luring white populist voters away from their alliance with black voters. Wilmington, with a large black population and a local fusion government in power, would be a focus of their campaign. The state Democratic Party handbook for 1898 laid out their goal, consolidate the white vote by stoking white anger and resentment. It said, this is a white man's country and white men must control and govern it. Their most effective tool was the media. One of North Carolina's biggest newspapers was a Democratic Party mouthpiece. It ran racist political cartoons throughout 1898. Not everybody was literate in 1898, but to see a political cartoon of the type that ran, you may not be able to read it, but you know exactly what it means. Many of the cartoons were centered on the threat of Negro rule, even though the fusion government was mostly white. They also played up another fear. Black men threatening white women became a theme. White men need to do all that they can to protect white womanhood. This was all part of North Carolina Democratic strategy, but it echoed the national racist rhetoric of the time. In one speech that Democrats printed in a Wilmington paper, a prominent Georgia writer named Rebecca Felton said, If it takes lynching a black man a day to protect white womanhood, I say lynch. Her speech prompted a Wilmington black man named Alex Manley, owner of the black-run Daily Record newspaper, to respond with a column. He made a simple observation that, at the time, was shocking. That white women who had liaisons with black men did so voluntarily and uh, enthusiastically. 
Manley wrote, every Negro lynched is called a big burly black brute, when in fact, many were sufficiently attractive for white girls to fall in love with them. Manley pretty much said, in a nutshell, sometimes white women choose to be with black men. Manley's editorial became another tool for Democrats. Newspapers reprinted it, called it a horrid slander, and ran comments about it on a daily basis. It was just a few months before the election, and white voters were angry. By the time the election rolls around on November 8th, um, black voters, Republican voters, had been thoroughly intimidated here. By all accounts, the elections of 1898 were a sham. The Democratic Party had a paramilitary group called the Red Shirts. They attacked and blocked black residents from voting. At a rally the KKK. before the election, Alfred Moore Waddell provoked the crowds. He the said, start of the Klu Klux Klan. holding ought at once and forever be brought to an end, even if we have to choke the current of the Cape Fear River with carcasses. The votes were counted and the Democrats won. Democratic candidates won every seat they had a candidate up for election in. But some local fusionist politicians remained in power because their seats hadn't been up for re-election, like the white Republican mayor and the board of aldermen. And of course, the election did nothing to undo the economic power black folks held in the city. The Democrats had won the election, but their goal of total white supremacist control remained out of reach. And so they engineered what was essentially a coup d'etat. The day after the election, at a gathering for white men in Wilmington, the Democrats unveiled a document called the White Declaration of Independence. It contained an ultimatum. Cynthia Brown, whose descendants were in Wilmington back in 1898, is a historian at her church where there's a preserved copy of the declaration from the next day's newspaper. We will no longer be ruled and will never again be ruled by men of African origin. They would strip black men of voting rights. They would give white men a large part of the employment heretofore given to black men. And as for Alex Manley, we demand that he leave this city forever within 24 hours. The next morning, hundreds of white men marched to the offices of the Daily Record. Manley was gone. He had fled to save his own life. They set the Daily Record building on fire. This is where it once stood. Once the white leadership destroyed Alex Manley's printing press, they destroyed one way in which the African-American community in Wilmington could organize itself and keep itself informed. At City Hall, the mayor and board of aldermen were forced out. There's 200 armed men in City Hall at the time. They didn't do it of their own free will. And as they resigned, a new member selected by the Democratic Party was voted into office. Waddell, who once threatened to fill the Cape Fear River with black bodies, was the new mayor of Wilmington. Meanwhile, the mob had grown to about 2,000 men and the violence spilled into the streets. In these photos, X's mark where the first black residents were killed. The stories are that they were dumped into the river um, and there are varying stories about how many people were killed. I see 40 to 60 clearly as fatalities as a result of the violence, but I think it was higher. 
Many black residents hid for days in the swamps and the wooded cemeteries in the city, including Cynthia's great-grandmother. And thousands of other residents fled Wilmington never to return. Shortly afterward, Democrats printed booklets celebrating a glorious victory and in the newspapers depicted black residents as the instigators. This image is a gross misrepresentation of what actually happened during 1898. You know, what you see is African-American men with guns, not white men with machine guns. The city never regained its black majority population. Jim Crow laws like literacy tests and poll taxes that prevented black people from voting were immediately enacted and Wilmington's spirit of black opportunity was crushed. Black political representation in the state was over. It would be 90 years until North Carolina elected its next black Congress member. Wilmington did a, a really great job of covering up a very dark past for a very long time. Over the years, the textbooks on North Carolina's history have struggled to accurately describe what happened in 1898. This one from 1933 says the situation was unfortunate for both races. And this one from 1978 doesn't have that much more detail. But they both praise Charles Acock, a politician who helped perpetrate the riot. They say he had a keen mind and a kind heart, and that, in fact, he was one of the best friends that the colored people had in the state. It's a legacy that North Carolina has yet to fully undo. The names of the perpetrators are on Wilmington's school buildings and city parks. But the legacy is also bigger than those names. Turn on the news and the state's long history of political suppression echoes. To a strict new voter ID law in North Carolina. Racial gerrymandering and a push for new voting maps. The court says the Republican led legislature redrew congressional districts along racial lines, violating the Constitution. There's a tremendous amount of intimidation that is still felt by the black community. It doesn't have to be mass mayhem and violence in the streets. The strategy shifts towards designing state laws in such a way that you could exclude blacks from. Uh, voter participation. The subliminal uh, pursuit of continuing the white declaration of independence. And if you don't see it for what it really is, it can happen all over again. Continue to be carried out as Deontay Wilder would say to this day the same Democratic Party that is begging for our votes this is the one who initiated all this shit in the first place this is the inception of the Ku Klux Klan it is a terrorist organization used to strip black people of 
political power, wealth, and their lives, and you terrorize them. And these people that did these atrocious things had kids. Their kids witnessed the lynching. And that hatred has been passed down. These groups are still out here. And the worst thing we can do right now is be lulled back to sleep or to think because we got a bill passed or a law made or some minor police reforms that is okay. And at this time, a lot of people is going to go back in the house. But to the soldiers out there that's fighting, stay diligent, stay focused, and stay aware. Stay woke. This is the exposition. Thank you all for stopping and listening to this show today. I'm not going to talk to you all a whole bunch. I'm going to let all other people talk. So we're going to end this right here. And this is just a call. Just a emergency message you gotta be diligent out here you gotta stay focused you gotta keep this energy going you cannot give up now you cannot just go back to the clubs you cannot go back to just socializing and acting like everything's okay there's a war in these streets peace this has been the exposition Salve.
and mobbing like old Italians. Snatching your homie's necklace to rock it with your medallion. Over these groceries, I'm toe-to-toe -to -toe with your whole battalion. I hit you with folk from this 44 like over album. I take lives like band contracepts. All the contraband I collect is Iran contra-esque. Respect the mantra, I die at the hands of consciousness. Run up and get left, ran down to death on your damn concert steps. The booze already made me lose. I can't go out like I'm Amy Winehouse. The Lord graciously still kept me here in the place to be. On the corner like baby blue, standing in timeout. Looking real spiritually aware. Pair of boomers on. Looking like I'm aboard a lair. Headed to uniform. I'm so lyrically rare. I'm spearheaded to uniform. I was born a ball on sugar coated all the way. I'm living, put me in a great position. Every time they hear me, they say, ain't nobody did this. No. If they don't, they're tripping. I just listen to the diction in this lyric. I won't be the fool, they don't want me to blue But everything will show, they handle like a home I already pay my dues to where these are But if I tell them, then they still won't know So I won't waste my time with you Speaking on that level that you never own When you're hating so incredible I'm writing for the words and you were so illegible I'm invincible, if people know me, I'ma stay woke Yeah, 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 yeah Stay woke. This is the exposition.